Hello, and welcome to Radio STN. I'm one of your hosts, Lindsay Anderson. And I'm Benny Loy. Um, my pronouns are she, her. And I am she, they. And uh, this is Radio STN, where we talk about gay things and gay news and... Dogs. Dogs. Yeah, we do talk <laughs> about dogs a lot. Between the two of us, we have, what, eight dogs? You have five, I have two. Yeah. No, it'll be seven. How many cats do you have? Do you have cats? One cat. Yeah. Okay. I have a cat, too. So it's nine pets total. We have a lot of, like, if we brought all of the pets of everybody who works at SGN into the office, there'd be no room to walk around. <laughs> Half of them would be yours. Yeah. Nemesis said that they have five pets as well. We're just animal lovers here. Yeah. And you know what? Animal lovers are the best people. Mm-hmm. I don't trust somebody that's, like, not into pets. You know, it's, like, massive red flag. Is anybody oh, yeah. that's, especially people that are, like, I'm not a dog person, but... Okay, wait. Here's a hot take. This is for my Lindsay fans out there if you're still listening. I saw this on TikTok. But big, big red flag if you're dating men, especially, is if they say they're not a cat person. Because there's so much, like, built-in misogyny with that. Because cats are, like, alluded to being, like, feminine. You know, like, with dogs. You know, a dog, you could just start petting it and touching it and love that. But, like, cats, like, are kind of consensual creatures. You know, Mm -hmm. like, a cat lets you touch it on its terms. Mm-hmm. And it's like when people don't like that, it's like massive red flag, you know? Yeah. Dogs don't have any boundaries. <laughs> no, not at all. Cats, though, on the other hand, are, you know, pretty particular and you have to earn their trust, earn their consent, learn the signs of when it's okay. I grew up with a cat that this big, big gray cat that I called Scratchy because I couldn't think of anything <laughs> better when I was little. And he taught me a lot about consent and boundaries because if I cross those boundaries, <laughs> <laughs> you found out why you named him I, I found out real quick <laughs> <laughs> well wait i have to ask you because you're in a relationship too and i feel like the dynamic that works a lot of times is like golden retriever and black cat energy have you seen that kind of online definitely i mean that's definitely prevalent in my relationship too where yeah. my partner is definitely like the golden retriever in the group and then i'm mm-hmm. definitely the cat <laughs> yeah <laughs> Big shock. I'm the golden retriever. <laughs> My partner's the cat. But you know what? It's a good dynamic in podcast partnering yeah. too, right? Yeah. I, I wonder too, there seems to be kind of a dynamic that I've been seeing with which sibling you were growing up. Oh. Because I'm the firstborn, right? Okay. And then my partner is the baby. Oh, interesting. So I'm like, what kind of dynamic? Because then it also, my parents... My mom was the firstborn, and my father was the baby out of six kids. Are your parents, like, still together? Like, did it work no. out? Oh, okay. So okay. it might not be a point in my favor, because, but... Well, that's so interesting, because, okay, this is, like, a special interest of mine, actually, is sibling dynamic and how it shapes your personality, because I read a psychology book that's probably not super grounded, because I found it, like, in my dad's room, I want to say, when you went to this, like, Christian self-help phase. I don't even think it's my real doctor. I think it's like some Christian dude. But she wrote a lot about like how your dynamic in your family affects you mm-hmm. and going into, you know, the traits that are common with the firstborn, the lastborn. And his argument was that a firstborn and the lastborn is like the best relationship that you can have the most successful because they like balance each other out, you know, with that kind mm-hmm. of like, you know, baby attention seeking versus like very responsible mm-hmm. oldest sibling. But that also, like, there's a lot of other things that go into how your birth order affects you and your family. So gender is a huge thing. So, like, you could be 
the third born, but if you're the oldest girl, a lot of times you'll still have a lot of firstborn tendencies because like oldest girls get a lot of that responsibility to take care of younger siblings, you know, put on you or but like the same if you're the only girl in your family, then you might have, you know, a lot more younger siblings. Yeah. You know, a lot of parentification. Yeah. And then like interesting things with twins or like if you Mm -hmm. have a sibling that may be older than you, but has developmental delays and like how that impacts you psychologically. And one thing that was really interesting too was age gaps, because if you grew up with a sibling that's like three years or less spread out between you, you're going to be like more competitive with them, but also Mm. like closer with them as like a friendship bond versus like siblings that have larger age gaps of like four plus years, then it's more of like a parentification role that you see. Mm -hmm. So with your sibling, what was your age gap? Yeah. So my little brother and I, what's funny is my birthday is April 4th and his birthday is May 5th. Oh, oh, nice. (laughs) So 4-4 and 5-5. And so we're only a year and a half apart. And yeah, we definitely were super competitive, hated each other's guts growing up. And then we just kind of hit this point where things cooled off and then we were all of a sudden like best buds. So yeah. But we hated each other. We were so competitive. Like, we could not stand when either one of us won anything. So, was it just you and him? Yes. Did you feel like your gender role to your family, like, also played a role in your competitiveness or anything like that? There was definitely, like, a lot of pressure. Like, I came from a very, very conservative Christian household. And though my dad, he really likes tomboys and cowgirls. So he kind of raised me to be a little bit more tomboyish. So it was a little bit like more free in that way. But there was still pressure to at the same time still fulfill the role of, you know, being the feminine one, but not feminine in like aesthetics because tomboyishness was kind of what my dad liked and was like, yeah, let's go on adventures and camping and stuff like that. But I still had to provide like that caretaker role. and. Also, uh, there was a lot of pressure to not have emotional outbursts or anything like that. Like, my brother was more allowed to be angry, and I wasn't. I wasn't allowed to express that. Yeah, that's big. Mm-hmm. This feels like therapy now. <laughs> not to go too deep. Yeah, yeah, not to go too deep. Well, you know, that's also <laughs> so interesting. I'm sorry, this is a special interest in my head. I love, like, early childhood development stuff. I geek I out know. on it. I do enjoy that stuff, too. We should discuss this more on the podcast later, but I wanted to ask you about being a tomboy. Yeah. I was like, we should discuss this later, and then I'm still <laughs> talking about it. Okay. I started reading Elliot Page's memoir this week. I need to read that. Oh, it's so good. He talks about, like, being a tomboy growing up as well, and that you, like, hit a point where, you know, if your parents were, like, supportive, and a lot of times parents are, you know, mm-hmm. especially in the age of kind of girl power, feminism, you know, you, like, hit this point where all of a sudden it's not cute to be a tomboy anymore. Mm-hmm. Did you feel that like was there a time where you were like shit I gotta like them up now not too much you know because my mom is also very tomboyish oh yeah I I mean she was in the military so she she's not one for makeup or being I mean she also hated the color pink I mean all those things that are stereotypical there were some ways where my family was very uh out of tradition it was kind of a weird mix of not being traditional and being very traditional. And so my mom, she had she had basically the same raising that I did where it was accepted to be tomboyish. She also was raised on a farm. Yeah. 
cattle farmers. And so she was expected to be able to be tough and to work on the farm and and do these things and and not be too prissy and things like that. But then at the same time, there's that pressure of you also at the same time have to be the caretaker. You still at the same time are expected to fulfill your role and form a relationship with a man and then get married and then have kids and all that jazz. And so it's a strong pressure. There was some pressure to be a little bit more feminine, a little like just a tad, like maybe less wearing of beanies. (laughs) <laughs> beanies beanies yeah. read them and no maybe. not no. according to my mom <laughs> <laughs> i love that that's so funny. yeah well okay we've talked for 10 minutes now about our childhood yeah. and our current pets and things of this sort but i think it's time to cut for an ad break really quick and uh then we'll come back with an interview that benny does All right, so we are here with Nemesis. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, definitely. Do you want to tell uh, the listeners what you do? Um, so I'm Nemesis. I'm 28 years old. I'm a bearded drag queen, current Miss Congeniality for the National Bearded Empress pageant, as well as your current Seattle Gothic Viscount 2023. I'm also a bartender, a writer, and social media person for Seattle Gay News. All of the things. All the things. Yeah, definitely. So. With your your drag persona, how did you get into that? So I discovered drag back when I was in high school, before my parents knew I was gay. I was kind of on YouTube, and I discovered um, Willem. She was on season four of Drag Race. This was like back when she was like a bigger girl before she got skinny. Um, Mm -hmm. And I just remember seeing her on YouTube, and I was so just entranced by the magic she created by just, you know, putting on a dress and some makeup and entertaining people. So kind of since then, and I didn't really take a deep dive into drag until after the pandemic, and I just really sat myself down and made goals for myself and just really went in. You know, I've been hearing that a lot from uh, other drag queens, that the pandemic really motivated them to to dive deep into it. That's super cool. I had dabbled prior to COVID since like 2017, but I wasn't really, my heart wasn't in it yet and I was still discovering myself. So during the pandemic, I'm like, you know what I miss the most? Drag. And I just decided to just go for it. Nice. And can you tell me a little bit about that, the Viscount thing? Yeah, I'm Seattle Gothic Pride Viscount for 2023. Um, It was a pageant we did. So there's two crown holders that are MX Gothic Seattle, and then we're there step below Seattle Gothic Viscounts. There's two of each title. What is your persona inspired by? It's kind of inspired by like 80s women of like rock and goth, like Elvira, Joan Jett, Pat Benatar, that sort of thing is really where I got my inspiration from to begin with. And it's just kind of evolved from there. Nice. And is there any special meaning for the name Nemesis? So I am Greek and Nemesis is a Greek deity. And it was just kind of, I was like going through the names and I'm like, why not kind of make a joke out of it? Because not to like two man horn, but I'm a pretty nice lady. So I thought it'd be funny to be called Nemesis and like actually be really sweet and get along with everybody. That's awesome. I've always thought that if I had a drag persona, my uh, my name would be Miss Nomer. Oh, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> Anything with a Miz is really good. Let's see. And then what got you started with writing? So I always kind of wanted to dive into journalism and do that. But when I went into college, my mom was very strict. I'm like, you need to do science. It has to be like medicine or computer science or like math or just something that's going to make you as much money as possible. So I went for computer science. I did two years. I got straight A's and I absolutely hated it. 
so I dropped out of college and I kind of just started working odd end jobs and trying to find myself because I feel like a lot of queer people, we don't really get a chance to discover ourselves or grow up like normal people. So it's really in our 20s that we kind of do that. And For that's sure. kind of what I did in my earlier 20s. So now that I'm more solid with who I am and what I'm doing, I kind of wanted to just take a leap of faith and try and follow some of my dreams. That's awesome. Do you ever dream of uh, doing like live reporting as your drag persona? I think that would be so cool because I don't think that's really done. Somebody can correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think people really do that. And I think that'd be really cool and special, especially with that queer representation. Yeah, yeah. I would love to see some like street interviews. <laughs> right. I think that'd be awesome. I mean, I've seen like gag reel street interviews, but it'd be fun to like actually do news. Yeah, yeah. That'd be sick. So you've talked a little bit in our past meetings for our writers meetings that you have a lot of fur babies like I do. Oh, yeah. Do you want to tell me about those fur babies? So I have five, five fur babies. Three of them were my doing. The other two was fully the husband. And I was like, what are we doing? And I ended up falling in love with them anyway. And here we are. Um, so mm -hmm. I have three chihuahuas. Coco, who's the oldest. She's a girl. I got Jasper, who's special needs. And he's my second oldest. He's got a seizure disorder. So he needs like phenobarbital every 12 hours. And then I have Leia, which shares the same birthday as me. May the fourth be with you. She's a dachshund. And then I have Bean, which is my youngest. And I call him Bean because he was like the size of a bean when we got him. He was so tiny. That's all he responds to now. And then my big blue-eyed cat, he's Siamese, um, Maui. I love him to death. Oh my gosh. Siamese cats are amazing. They're so pretty. The black cats <laughs> and Siamese cats are it. They're the ones. Yes. Yes. Some tabbies. And tabbies, yes. Maybe maybe some calicos. Okay, I, I'm going to end up listing all of the cats. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. I love cats, but my top two would be Siamese and black cats for sure. Oh, for sure. For sure. Definitely up there with like orange bastards. I love them so much. But I mean, you have the drag, you have writing. Do you have any other hobbies or passions? I'm actually kind of a big gamer and also like a video game collector. Yeah, I'm a super big fan of Nintendo. I'm diving back into PlayStation. Huge, huge Pokemon nerd. If I like did a tour of my room, it's like 95% Pokemon and like stuff everywhere. So it's a little eccentric, but it makes me happy. That's awesome. And I thought about trying to find a way to like stream and do drag, but that just seems like too much work. And I just like gaming for fun. That would be a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I already do enough work. I don't need to do more. I'm actually like a huge gamer myself. I've been collecting games as well for a long time. Love the PlayStation. That's like the largest part of my collection is PlayStation games. Are we talking like PS5 or are we talking... PlayStation 2. Oh, 2 was the best one. It was so incredible. Yes, there were a lot of really crappy games, but... There were so many games to choose from and there were so many like diamonds in the rough mm -hmm. where so, so hard to find games that you play them and you're just like, how was this done during the PlayStation 2 era? There's a reason it's the top selling console of all time in history. Like it is the biggest selling console. It was sick. Have you been playing uh, Tears of the Kingdom? People are going to crucify me for this, but I'm not a Zelda fan. <laughs> no. <laughs> So the story behind the reason I don't really care for Zelda, I like played Link's Awakening back on the original Game Boy back in the day, enjoyed mm -hmm. it. And then in high school, there was like a group of like nerds, but they were like the cool nerds and they like Zelda. So they were kind of just like douchey to me and me. And so I'm like, these people that are really mean to me, like Zelda, I'm like, I don't think I'm going to like it because I don't like them. So I just kind of wrote Zelda off for the longest time. And I actually picked up the remake um, for Link's Awakening. And I really like it. Just the concept mm -hmm. of open world with Zelda kind of stresses me out because it seems like there's too much work to do without the fun. There is so much. <laughs> like, 
I've been playing Tears of the Kingdom, and I finally, after after days and days, have finally like collected all the allies, and 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 it's not even it's not even halfway through the game. Oh it's God. like it's like what is this, Okami? <laughs> <laughs> you you think you get to the boss, and then it turns out that you're not even close to the end of the game. <laughs> And I'm a curious person, so I will turn every last rock and leaf over in, like, one zone for, like, a week. Yeah. And it has nothing yeah. to do with the gameplay or nothing to do with the story. It's just, I'm like, I need to find every last thing and do it. Yeah. Whenever I play any open worlds or RPGs, I have to force myself to <laughs> follow the main quest line. <laughs> I have, to this day, not finished the main quest line for Skyrim. Not yeah, once. <laughs> that's why I haven't even tried to play yet. Although I did get, I think it's Elden Ring. I want to try that, but I'm like scared, mm. so I haven't started it yet. Yeah, I don't play very many like MMOs, but I love RPGs, but I get so lost in them that I, I rarely ever finish them. Mm -hmm. uh, I feel that. The problem with them is that you uh, you get, you binge them, right? You just mm -hmm. like hyper obsess and then you never get done with it. And then you abandon it for like a couple of years. And by the time you come back, you're like, well, it's been so long. I don't even remember my character back then and what mm -hmm. I was doing. Let's just restart. <laughs> <laughs> but then you get that, like, if you play that long, you get that burnout and you're just like, it almost feels like work and not fun anymore. And I'm just like, I don't want to play. Yeah. There are so many Khajiit that I, characters that I have abandoned <laughs> in a multitude of Skyrim files. <laughs> so which Pokemon is your favorite it's fully leafy on i have like the most like plushies and like figures out of all of them he's just cute he reminds me of the cat but he's got leaves and you know i don't know oh, there's something gosh. about him that's just really fucking adorable yeah personally i'm definitely a totodile person oh he's so cute yeah, he's yes, so he adorable is. he was definitely on the list mm -hmm. so then best pokemon game oh no <laughs> that puts me on the spot and it's mm -hmm. such a controversy with most people i've heard <laughs> black and white is the best like generation but i never played it personally that's like mm -hmm. the only generation in play i would say for me probably sun and moon um because mm. i grew up in hawaii so i know a lot of the history and a lot of what went on there because i lived there and grew up there and i would say they did a really really good job of doing their research and kind of making alola like semi-accurate to the real world of what Hawaii is. Like, of course, it's not exact one for one, and it's a kid's thing, and it's a little different, but they did a pretty good job, and I really appreciated them doing that research. That's cool. My personal favorite definitely is Silver. I'm never going to move past that. <laughs> <laughs> so my first Pokemon game ever was actually Pokemon Gold. My little brother and I had the same birthday, and it was mm -hmm. my fifth birthday. My mom was in the hospital, obviously giving birth. And my parents are like, don't look, here's a Game Boy Color and Pokemon Gold. And I played it, and I never put down a Pokemon game since. I love it. I remember back in the day, I, at first I wasn't allowed to play Pokemon because of my parents' religious beliefs and what um, churches no, were wait. saying back then. Harry Potter, I understood, but Pokemon? <laughs> what is it, witchcraft? There were some pastors out there that used to claim that Pokemon are demons and that they're teaching children how to make packs with them. And so then my first times playing Pokemon was when I would be visiting my cousins and I would secretly like take their cartridge and play it while I was visiting them and try to get through as much as possible before. That's <laughs> before so we had depressing. To leave. I mean, I love it, but like, damn. Yeah, eventually I was able to talk some sense into my dad and like, listen, I'm not going to get possessed because of Pokemon. That is one of the biggest stretches I've heard for why you shouldn't play Pokemon. <laughs> <laughs>
I mean, there was another pastor, I think, that said that Pokemon would make you gay, and maybe he was right. <laughs> Almost every Pokemon <laughs> player I know is gay, so maybe he was onto something. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> there might be a, a correlation causation thing here going on. <laughs> right. <laughs> Do you have anything going on that you would like to promote? Hmm. I'd have to like bust out my full calendar, but off the top of my head, something I do at least once a month. And I know you guys just interviewed Lady Shibley recently. Um, mm -hmm. I do her drag brunch down at Taqueria Cantina. It's downtown kind of by Pike's Place Market. I think it's on University, but mm -hmm. it's every single Sunday. It starts at 1230. You can buy tickets online. It is one of the best drag brunches in Seattle. It's really given me my start and it's given me a spot to like experiment and try things and really just get my stride as a performer and like i owe lady should believe in that brunch everything like it's an incredible brunch all right then listeners go to that brunch <laughs> and the food is amazing what type of food do they serve probably gonna butcher the description of what the food is but <laughs> i believe it's like authentic south american like mexican-esque food that's the best way i can describe <laughs> um, i only get like basic bitch things from there so i get like a quesadilla or like rice and beans or like you know something mm -hmm. that i can like eat really quick before work because before i have to close up my bar job i get home at like four in the morning i get a couple hours of sleep wake up paint do brunch go back to work and work eight to ten hours and it was like this whole like exhausting turn and burn so i would just like get the easiest thing i possibly could and just like mm. cram it down in two seconds and go to work i have been there i have been there though i wasn't going to like nice brunches and things like that like it was literally like taco bell <laughs> Yeah. Well, I, I'm lucky that they feed the performers. Some places don't do that, but they take really good care of us. Nice. Anyways, Nemesis, it was so awesome talking to you. Thank you so much for sharing about yourself. Thank you for having me. It was a wonderful experience. I've never done a podcast before, so I'm kind of like excited to do this. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm looking forward to your future articles. Absolutely. Thank you. Okay, we're back. That was a great interview. Oh, for sure. Yeah. You asked such hard-hitting questions. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it, it was really intense for a moment there, but I think I pulled through. I definitely felt like <laughs> 60 minutes or something. You know, Barbara Walters <laughs> called and offered you a job during the ad break. I'm just kidding. That's a, that's a mean thing to joke about. You deserve a career with 60 minutes. Just for context, it hasn't been recorded yet. So. <laughs> yeah, that's what always goes. Just in case it doesn't end up being a hard-hitting interview and... Yeah, it's like it's like fun to talk about the Barbie movie the whole time. Yeah, it's probably going to just be talking about dogs. Yeah, probably. <laughs> okay, well, speaking of hard-hitting news, we do have a paper that we run, well, Benny runs, and I contribute to. <laughs> and one story this week that was really interesting that we both kind of want to discuss is a story about the ongoing Starbucks issue, which we talk a lot about on this podcast. Our wonderful reporter slash editor... Flash, he kind of looks like a modern day Jesus Flash guy that just got a kill. Dan Lindsley wrote Starbucks is not a monolith. And I think we should dive right in because this is really interesting. A reader of the FGN reached out and kind of called us out for our coverage of the Starbucks issue because we've been very critical of Starbucks Corporation, you know, talking about their removal of pride decorations in June, talking about them getting booed out of the pride parade and things like that. It's no surprise we're all pretty hard union supporters here. Yes, definitely. But this person mentioned that Starbucks is actually 
free supportive of LGBTQ workers and has paid for gender affirming surgery for a lot of people. And this is actually something they've been doing since 2013, which doesn't, I mean, like in a way, it feels like 2013 isn't that long ago, but it was 10 years ago. It was before yeah. same sex marriage was a thing and Starbucks when doing that. They were early adopters. Yeah. Dan does a really good job of kind of covering this other side to the story that we haven't talked about a lot. And um, Benny, I'll just kind of talk that to you. What was your response to this article? Yeah. At first, you know, because of our previous coverage, I was a little bit, I had a little bit of anticipation because I was like, well, do we really need to cover that? But I trusted Daniel's in, uh, intuition. And after seeing the article, I, I agree that we do need to broaden our perspectives and take in you know, the personal experiences of people within our community, because there there are quite a few trans community members that are benefiting from the health care that Starbucks provides. Now, of course, that doesn't erase all sins, but yeah. it is something to keep in mind that they're not the worst corporation, at least when it comes to gay rights. So. Yeah, it's not like they're Chick-fil-A, but... <laughs> Yeah. And Dan also does a good job of pointing out that, first of all, if you work in a higher position at Starbucks, you're more likely to receive gender affirming care. Yeah. They help pay for like college and other important things when people apply. Um, But for the lowest workers at Starbucks, for the people that are on strict, you know, fair wages and the right to unionize, they don't have access to kind of the same rights there. So there is a big discrepancy in the corporation. And in a report that came out of Bloomberg, only 52% of respondents said that they completely agreed that the company behaves as an ethical, responsible manner. So even though Starbucks does donate, you know, $700,000 a year to like LGBTQ organizations, Starbucks makes way more money than that. You know, they mm-hmm. could they could be doing better. Those are big numbers, but you know, the numbers of how much goes in the pocket of Howard Schultz is much, much bigger. So Yeah, you know definitely. It, yeah. It's important to remember that uh nothing's black and white, you know, mm-hmm. nobody is all bad and nobody's all good. And Starbucks has definitely benefited people on on a personal level. Uh people like the person that wrote into the SGN who had their gender affirming care paid for by Starbucks. But that there are a lot of other people that have been screwed over by the company and uh, their voices deserve to be heard, too. Yeah, definitely. I agree. But I, I really enjoyed this coverage because it gives a little bit of perspective, but it also keeps us on track that, you know, at the end of the day, it, you know, we support workers' rights. We're going to try to acknowledge when things are done right, but we're still going to also still acknowledge when things are not done right. Also, this was just really well written. Like, it's engaging. So mm-hmm. check out check out that article for sure. If there's one article you read that she had this week, I highly recommend that one. Very dynamic. <laughs> um, yeah. And then, Benny, is there anything else you want to talk about? Real quick, do we want to hit DeSantis? Oh, yeah. Let's hit DeSantis. <laughs> I would love to hit DeSantis. In Minecraft, not in real life. <laughs> in Minecraft. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I wrote this story about DeSantis because I'm always pushing writing about DeSantis. It's not good for my mental health. But yeah, he's been taking heat from voters after this really weird campaign ad came out that like like the videos of him in between like ripped bodybuilders with like club music, you know, Mm -hmm. and the vibe of it is like Trump is nicer to gay people than DeSantis. So you should vote for DeSantis. And a lot of the sources that I kind of cited in this article 
political scientists, people that are even in the Republican Party have said this is a horrible stance mm-hmm. to make. Even Chris Christie, who's running for president against the stance, has been like, this is awful. They shouldn't be competing against the most homophobic. I don't want to say good for Trump, but I guess good for <laughs> Trump that his campaign came forward and like didn't engage in the debate. You know, they didn't take the bait to be like, oh, well, Trump's yeah. gonna fuck the queer community, too. I was a little worried there at first when uh, there was rumors that DeSantis was going to run. And I was like, oh, that's going to be so bad because he's he's Trump, but a hundred times worse and more cunning. He's not. <laughs> he's, no, he's dumb as fuck. And, you know, you can see how stupid DeSantis is uh, in this article because Florida is, is really struggling right now based mm-hmm. on all of the... He took up social wars, social issues. And from a political standpoint, it's such a novice move, you know, because social issues are populist issues. They rile the people up. They get the people talking. Mm-hmm. Uh, they get people emotional. But, you know, you don't always see that they bleed into economic problems. And that's what's happening with him. So right now, Florida is experiencing the worst inflation in the country. Mm-hmm. And a large part of that is because of this quote-unquote brain drain that's happening because since yes. they've passed these laws that go all the way up to college, banning critical race theory, tailoring what you can teach about slavery, you can't say gay in any public, in no, private, in any any classroom up until mm-hmm. 12th grade now because they expanded it. And so teachers are leaving in droves because yeah. they don't, they can't ethically be censored to this point because you're not doing your duty as a teacher you're not teaching you know you're at this point indoctrinating so teachers at every level are leaving florida but especially professors and they haven't been able to find people to fill these jobs so there's less students coming to florida for universities because they don't have the space but i'm also nobody fucking wants to go to universities in florida anymore it sounds like a lot of different groups are leaving. Uh, yeah. I've heard maybe even medical professionals. A lot of migrant workers are leaving. Oh, yeah, that's a big one. Yeah. The foundation of our workforce is leaving Florida. <laughs> yeah. Well, and people are protesting. People are vacationing there. You know, it's not just the HRC that's listed uh, travel advisory warning, but NAACP America listed travel advisory warning for Black Americans not to go mm-hmm. to Florida. And insurance companies are now pulling their policies from Florida because of major climate disasters that are happening and are affecting Florida specifically. It's not a good time to be living in Florida. And it's really not a good time to beat DeSantis either because on top of all of this, he is just like losing money left and right on his campaign. In the first six weeks of his campaign, he spent $8 billion. Wow. He just started firing dozens of campaign staffers. And keeping in mind, he had, before the firing, started 92 campaign staffers, which was about 30 more than the next highest person with campaign staffers. And they're obviously not doing a good job because they released this weird fucking ad and promoted it and then doubled down on it. So the problem with that ad is that it's too chronically online. Whoever (laughs) made it is spending way too much time on alpha reddits, alpha man reddits. Because the fact that they use clips from American Psycho with like Patrick Bateman as like an alpha male, that only happens in certain circles on the internet. And those are circles that you don't want to interact with. That's a bit too down the rabbit hole. (laughs) The circles that are blasting Jason Aldean. Don't try this in a small town or whatever the book that song is called. Yeah. Which we briefly talked about before we started recording, too. That shit's wild. Like, I'm only chronically online to understand some of this stuff to a degree. 
But if you are chronically online enough to see clips of Patrick Bateman being used in a fashion to say that DeSantis is alpha, then <laughs> get some help. Seriously. Yeah. Also, no like offense to anybody, but DeSantis is non-alpha male. If, if such a thing, have you heard him talk? Like, yeah. He just kind of sounds nasally whiny. Yeah, he does. He he sounds like, you know, in those cartoons where they used to dress like the little boys up in a in a big blue bonnet with a giant oversized lollipop and they'd have curly, curly yeah, locks. Yeah. That's what I envision every time he speaks. He sound you know, he just sounds like that, you know. It's kind of giving Oompa Loompa, you know? It's a little bit. It if is. you put him and Trump together, they would make the perfect Oompa Loompa love child. <laughs> you know, it you would. need Trump's face, DeSantis' voice, the persona. My God. Yeah. I don't know what we've unleashed here, but <laughs> it might be so, time for us to wrap up with that image in all of your mind. Image, putting that in, into people's heads. Oh, yeah. my goodness. <laughs> I mean, turns out that DeSantis is not intelligent. No. <laughs> Like, I, I don't want to say, I don't want to be one of the people to be like, don't worry, he's not a threat at all. Because we yeah. all did that in 2016. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I guess a good disclaimer, too, is just because DeSantis claims to be more homophobic than Trump doesn't mean that Trump's not majorly homophobic and transphobic. Yeah. At the end of the day, what Trump cares about is Trump. Yeah. And the money that Trump can make. And so if he can make money off of the LGBTQ plus community, he's going to do that. But yeah. if he's going to make money the other way, he has no loyalties. So exactly. it, it's all about the money and the and the gain, the profit and the power. But with DeSantis, it seems to be actual hate because he's willing to spend a lot of money to lose real bad. Yeah. <laughs> hopefully he keeps just bleeding money and drops out. And hopefully Trump drops out after him. <laughs> get real political here. <laughs> oh, he's not. Trump's not going to drop out. I mean, he's I still know. posting messages. Maybe he'll get indicted again. Okay, well, this has been our show. Thank you if you've listened this far. Yeah, we are your unhinged host, giving you gay news, giving you dog updates, talking a little bit about childhood trauma. And I hope that you don't have too many nightmares about Trump and DeSantis fucking and creating and building up because I know I will. Um, also, uh, just I guess real quick shout out to the Barbie movie. Go see it. I'm going to see it. This coming week, so as y'all are listening to this podcast, I will be watching the Barbie movie over and over again. So check out the next podcast when we maybe discuss that. Bye. Thanks for listening. Bye. Thank you for listening. See you again next week. Kiss your dogs, Warren. Radio SGN is hosted by Benny Loy and Lindsay Anderson and edited by Daniel Lindsley. The music for the show is provided by TRG Banks and Jesse Spillane or was provided for free by Anchor. Thank you so much for listening. Check us out on sgn.org. This podcast is part of the Seattle Gay News Podcasting Network.